Good evening. How's everybody doing today? Merry Christmas. If would some of you be so kind to sit on this side, maybe? Uh, it kind of seems a little lopsided. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, welcome to Forest Park. Uh, we're so excited that you're here. Um, if this is your first time here, if you're new, if you're visiting, um, there's a connection card in the seat in front of you. If you can please fill that out and on your way after service, just drop it off in the drop box. And all we want to do is just reach out to you and see how we can minister to you. A um, couple of announcements that I do have, don't forget, um, our Christmas Day service is going to be tomorrow at 1030 a.m. And I've had several requests. If you want to show up in your jammies, please feel free to do so. I will judge you secretly. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but feel free to come. It's a family service. Be comfortable. We're going to have cookies afterwards and just a good time. Uh, second announcements that I do have on Saturday, January 7th, mark your calendar. Um, Heartsong Counseling is hosting a free workshop uh, for women um, in our congregation uh, titled Walking with Our fr uh, Friends Through Anxiety. And so... Um, Sign up is online at fp.church forward slash groups, or you can go to the info center and sign up for there. And then also mark your calendars for January the 8th and the 14th that week. Life groups uh, will be picking up again. And so if you're interested in a life group, want to find out more information about life groups, you can talk to somebody after the service, me or somebody at the info center for that. Um, and so let's take a time right now and just quiet our hearts and ask the Lord uh, to prepare us so that we can worship Him. Would you please stand as we hear God calling us to worship Him this Christmas Eve? Our call to worship is from Psalm 149, verse 1. It says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in His Maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their King. Let them praise His name with dancing, making melody to Him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Amen. Let us praise our awesome King. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 8. Um, and all the kids are very excited, uh, so I'm going to be really short. I'm going to be about 15 minutes, okay? All right, Lincoln, you can make your seat, buddy. He's right here. <laughs> There you go. All right, as Lincoln finds his way back to his seat, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you uh, so much uh, for your mercy, for your grace. God, thank you for kids. Thank you that we can gather and worship together as a family. Lord, thank you that you have come to dwell among us. You were born in a stable, laid in a manger, took on flesh, and dwelt among us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the precious gift that you've given us and the salvation that you have accomplished for us, Lord. And Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, as we, as we hear what you have to say, can you speak to us? 
Can for this brief moment, you just open up our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds. Can you allow us to focus? Can you make yourself known? Lord, you know everybody in this room. You know uh, where they're coming from. You know where they're going. You know how they're feeling. You know what they're experiencing. Lord, can you meet them at this time? So come, Lord, and speak to us. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. And so it's hard to believe uh, that we are in the final week of Advent. And so maybe you're new here and you're wondering what in the world is Advent. Well, Advent is, 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 is the people of God celebrating the coming of Jesus in humility, but it's also the anxious waiting of a second coming in glory. And so as we lit the fifth candle on Christmas Eve, what it symbolizes, it's a picture as light is piercing into the darkness. It is a picture of the gospel, which Jesus is the light of the world entering into our dark world. Now, in our series, we've been talking about how Jesus is our ultimate hope, our peace, our joy, and our love. And so when we look around the world, it doesn't really take a scientist uh, to figure out that something is wrong. The world that we live in is broken. Maybe some of you have even imagined that not only is the world broken, but even I find myself broken. And in our brokenness, all of us long for a little bit of hope, a little bit of peace, a little bit of joy, a little bit of love. Whether you're a Christian or not, we all long for hope in a hopeless world, for peace in a world full of conflict and strife, for joy in a world full of sadness and love in a world full of hate. And it seems like during Advent season, this, these longings and these desires seem to be amplified. And as we anxiously are, are waiting for Christmas to come and our hopes and dreams to come true, thinking tonight is going to be the best night, tomorrow is going to be the best tomorrow ever, and yet when Christmas comes, what ends up happening? There's always a letdown. There's always a disappointment because in our minds what we've been thinking is that if I can only have hope, peace, love, and joy, this is what Christmas is all about And then we experience it, and for some of us, it's either fleeting, you had it, and then it's gone, or for some of you, you never had it. And so these desires that we have are not bad desires, they're good desires, and I believe actually these desires are from the Lord, but the problem what we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to look for all of these things in the wrong places. And so in our series, what we've been talking about is telling you that these things can only be found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Only he's the one that can fulfill. Only he is the one where our hope is in, our peace is in, our joy and our love. And Paul uses this phrase that I want to really talk about tonight. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 17, he says, these are just the shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So what I want to talk about tonight is replacing shadows, because that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is replacing the shadows with reality. And so here's a little illustration to maybe show you what I mean by that. Suppose you are a young child, and you and your mom go shopping, and somehow you looked away, or you went a little further than you should have, and she's gone, and you look around, and you cannot find her. 
And you don't know whether I go down this side of the aisle or the other side of the aisle. And so you make a decision and you're walking to the end of the aisle as anxiety is kind of creeping in. And you're starting to get really scared, wondering where in the world did your mom go? And then all of a sudden you're being overcome with fear. And just as sadness is coming and you're about to cry, you see a shadow of a woman. And all of a sudden your fears are lifted. You're no longer crying, and you're filled with hope. And so let me ask you, like, which one is better? The happiness of seeing the shadow of your mom or your actual mom stepping around the corner and you see her? The shadow or the mom? The mom. The mom is obviously better. And so Christmas is the replacement of the shadows with the real thing. And so what I want to do is I want to show you in Scripture, in Hebrews chapter 8, how all of these things were shadows that was pointing to the real thing, Jesus. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. It says this, Now the main point of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it was necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he wouldn't be a priest since there are those offering the gifts prescribed by the law. These serve, and here's where I get my theme, as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle. For God said, be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry, and to that degree he is the mediator of a better covenant which has been established on better promises." So what the author is doing in the book of Hebrews, he's doing a comparison on contrast between Jesus' priestly ministry and the priests of the Old Testament or the Levitical priest. And the main point that the author is making is that Jesus did not come to fit into the earthly systems of priests where he is the best and final human priest. But rather, he has come to fulfill and put an end to the system and to reorient our attention onto himself as he's ministering for us in heaven. And in verse 5, we see these themes of a copy and a shadow. In other words, what the author is, is saying, he's not saying that the old system was bad and the new system is better, but rather what he is saying is the old system was a copy and a shadow. Quit looking at the old system. Quit looking at the shadow and start looking to the substance, the real priest. Now, as we've read the text, you're probably wondering, man, this is very confusing. So what we're going to do is instead of me spending tons of time breaking it down, we're going to talk about four points because here's what the author is doing. If he's comparing Jesus is being our heavenly priest with the earthly priest in the Old Testament. He's showing us basically four aspects of Jesus' superior ministry. So that's what we're going to talk about, four aspects 
of Jesus' superior ministry that's more superior than the old priest in the Old Testament, okay? That's all we're going to talk about, draw application, and then take communion. So here's the very first aspect of Jesus' superior ministry. If you're taking notes, is this. The posture in which Jesus resides. In other words, the reason why Jesus' priestly ministry is superior than the Old Testament priest is because of Jesus' posture. Look at verse 1. What's Jesus' posture in verse, in verse 1? Now, the main point of what's being said is this. We have this kind of high priest who's doing what? What's his posture? He's sitting. Where is he sitting? Next to the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. In other words, Jesus' posture is that of sitting next to the right hand of God. Now let's compare Jesus' posture of sitting to the earthly priest. Now the earthly priest did not sit down. They were actively ministering to the people by taking their gifts and their sacrifices and bringing it before the Lord. And the work was never over. In other words, every single day, guess what they had to do? They had to take the sacrifices, take the offerings presented to the Lord. And just when they thought the work was done, somebody else would come. Why? Why would the work of the earthly priest never be done? Because people will continue to to sin. As long as people would sin, there will be more sacrifices. So let's say you had a 12-hour shift of presenting offerings and sacrifices and all about saying, hey guys, work is over, let's close shop. But now Bob shows up with his cows and his sheep and his pigeon and say, hey guys, can can we squeeze it in tonight? Well, yeah. Work never ends. But for Jesus, what's his posture? Is he working? No. He is sitting at the right hand of God. Why? Because the work that Jesus accomplished is finished. Something the Old Testament priest could never do. So Jesus is more superior because of his posture. The second thing, if you're taking notes, not only... Is he more superior in his posture? But the second one is the sanctuary in which Jesus serves is superior. Look at verse 2. It says this, A minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. Skip over to verse 5. These serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle. So where is Jesus ministering in? He's ministering in the heavenly sanctuary. Verse 2 tells us the holy place, the true tabernacle, the true tent. Who was it made by? Man or God? The Bible says it was made by God. So in other words, Jesus is the minister in the true temple, not the copy, not the shadow. And so after Solomon, after he built this this extravagant temple and used the best of materials, covered the walls with gold, he prayed this prayer, and basically what he was saying was, 
God, we know that you have chose to, res- to dwell among your people in this temple, but we understand even the temple and all of its fanciness will never be able to hold you. Not in the he- even the heavens could contain it, contain you. In other words, what, what Solomon was thinking is this temple, this building, and all of its splendor cannot be compared to the glories of God and the heavenly of places. And since after the temple was built, you know what, before they could use the temple, you know what they had to do to the temple? They had to consecrate the temple because men touched it. God is holy. Men defiled it. In order to consecrate the temple, what they had to do is they had to make a sacrifice and take the blood of an animal and sprinkle it on the temple by cleansing it of all of its sin. So an earthly temple was already defiled, had to be constantly consecrated. And second thing is, what happens to new buildings? They get old, right? You have something new. You've lived in it for a year, and it looks like you've lived in it for 10 years because your kids destroyed, and that's why you tell your kids, this is why we can't have nice things, because things decompose, things fall apart. Don't look at your child. It's Christmas. (laughs) But not the heavenly sanctuary. It does not need to be consecrated. It does not decompose. It is eternal. It is glorious. And that is where Christ is ministering to us right now. And that's why even when he, in in the, the tabernacle that Moses built was a shadow and a copy. That's why God told Moses, make sure you build things exactly the same. Why? Because what Moses was building was a shadow, a copy of what is in heaven right now. And so Jesus' priestly ministry is superior because of the posture he's sitting, because he's serving in the heavenly sanctuary made by God. And the third one, if you're taking notes, is the sacrifice Jesus offered. The sacrifice Jesus offered. Look look at verse 3. It says this, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. In other words, a high priest, what's his job? Present gifts and sacrifices. But where do those gifts and sacrifices come from? Does he provide it or the people? The people provide it. He doesn't do anything. He simply takes what you give and he presents it before the Lord. He must bring an animal. And even though our text doesn't really say what Jesus brought, later on in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9 will tell us what Jesus brought. Hebrews 9 verse 11 to 12, if you want to quickly turn to that and read with me. It says this, But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, And the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. 
In other words, Jesus' priestly ministry is more superior, not just because of the posture, not just because of the heavenly sanctuary, but also because of the sacrifice. The earthly temple, the earthly tabernacle, dead animals. The heavenly sanctuary, the blood of Christ that was sacrificed once and for all. And the last one, if you're taking notes, is the covenant that Jesus mediates. In other words, here's the conclusion. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says this, But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry, and to that degree he is the mediator of a better covenant. In other words, because of Jesus' superior posture, because of the superior sanctuary that Jesus is ministering in, because of the superior sacrifice that Jesus offered, this leads now to a superior covenant. The old wasn't bad. The old was just a shadow of the new and of the better. And this was a fulfillment of the prophecy that even Jeremiah spoke about when he compared, when God gave him a word and he compared the old covenant with the new covenant. Jeremiah 31 verse 31 uh, to 34 says this, Look, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will, will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand and let them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I'll be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, say, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. Here is the the covenant that Jesus is residing over. A covenant that is instituted by God, accomplished by Jesus. A covenant that leads to a heart transformation. A covenant that leads to immediate access to God. A covenant that brings... Complete forgiveness once and for all. How could God make this covenant? Through His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, Christmas is the shadows being replaced with the reality. And here, here's my application and then we're done. Look at verse 1 again. What's the main point the author's trying to make? He says this. Now, the main point of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest. Now, here, here's the main point. You have that kind of high priest. You have a high priest who is the true and final high priest that mediates between you and God, 
who made you right with God through His sacrifice that He provided. And He is sitting right now at the right hand of God, mediating for you, interceding for you. He is no ordinary, weak, sinful, dying, old priest. Instead, He is the Son of God who is strong, who is sinless, and who is indestructible. He is not a shadow. He is the substance. For so many of us, we're so used to chasing after shadows because that's all we see. And because we're so used to chasing after shadows and because that's all we see, over time we get to confuse the shadow with the substance. And here's my charge for you. Quit chasing shadows. By faith, look up to the substance. His name is Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you that you provided the shadow and the substance. Lord, thank you that you are our high priest, that you intercede for us, you mediate for us, you gave us yourself as a sacrifice once and for all, and because of your precious blood, we now have access to God and we can be accepted by God. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to look to you. Help us to stop chasing shadows. Help us to look up and behold you, the one and true one. As we continue to pray, I just have a question for you to reflect on. What, sh what shadows are you chasing in life? And what I want to challenge you at this evening is, can you maybe by faith look up and look to Christ? Ask the Lord to help you refocus your vision and look to Him as the author and the perfecter of your faith, as your high priest who gave His body for you and sacrificed Himself for you once and for all so that you can be accepted by God. As we get ready to, to share communion, this table is what? A shadow. It's only symbolic. There's nothing special about the table. But what it represents and what it's pointing to is far greater, far glorious. You see, when Jesus is coming back to make all things new, the Bible is talking about this great banquet, this wedding feast, the best of food, the best of wine, as we will be sitting in the presence of God, feasting and beholding the Lamb of God who's taken away our sins. 
And as we distribute these elements, what I want us to do is let's remember this is a shadow and let's behold the substance. Let's behold Christ. Let's behold the fact that this great wedding banquet is waiting for us. We'll be sitting in the presence of God, eating and drinking and celebrating where there'll be no longer faith required because it's not like I believe in God. It's like he's right there. I'm sitting in his presence. And even now we get to experience a little bit of it, but what it now requires is faith believing that we are invited to sit in the presence of God, to eat at the table of God because of what the Son of God has done on our behalf. And you're invited to sit at the table not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ has done on your behalf. But this invitation is for everyone, but not everyone can come. Because it requires faith, trusting in Christ as your Lord and Savior, to look to Him and to behold Him. And so if you believe that tonight, then come and feast as a brother and sister in Christ. But if you don't, then just simply pass the elements. But let this time help you to reorient your heart, to look at the shadow and say, thank you for the shadow right now, but by faith behold the substance who is Jesus Christ, your great high priest, that is far more superior than any other priest who provided access to God once and for all, and he is coming back. Go ahead and meditate on these truths, and let's go ahead and distribute these elements. I'm just struck by what these elements represent. Christ's body given to us, his blood shed for us, the new covenant we have with him. I just want to read these words from Jeremiah once again. This covenant that the Lord has established. He says, I will make a covenant with these people. I'll be their God and they'll be my people covenant that God establishes with us. He is our God. We are his people. He'll put his teachings inside of us and write it in our hearts. No longer will one day we'll have to teach one another, know the Lord, for we will all know him. Why? Because his spirit resides in us. He's given us a new heart. It's not something we've done. It's something he has done. And all of our iniquity, all of our sin will be no more, will be forgiven. How? Because of Christ's body that was given to us. Eat it in remembrance of him. Christ's blood that was shed for us, drink it in remembrance of him. Lord, we thank you for this new covenant, this superior covenant that you have established, that has been given to us, not because of anything that we have done, but it's all because of you. You've initiated our salvation. You have accomplished our salvation. You've applied our salvation. And you who began a good work is going to finish it. And so, Lord, help us to look to you, help us to trust in you, help us to behold you, help us to be in awe of you.
Help us to stop chasing after shadows and help us to behold you, Lord Jesus, our great high priest that's sitting at the right hand of God right now, mediating and interceding on our behalf. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Give us strength. Help us to look to you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand. Let us worship our Lord. Receive this word of blessing from 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 16. It says this, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. God bless you, Forest Park. We'll see you tomorrow. Merry Christmas.